0: I have to tell you, this show Hilf has it all, doesn't it? First, <laughs> we talk about 18th uh, century London, and we're talking about the Elephant Man. We go mm-hmm. right to blowjobs. You don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know. But I have looked at the uh, at the Elephant Man's penis, and like you said earlier, you're correct. It's a it's a perfect appendage. It's, it's fine. Perfect. Yeah. History. I'd like to follow me.
1: And welcome to HILF. My guest for this episode is Christine Blackburn, and she is a very successful podcaster, the creative force behind the long running Story Worthy and its live show counterpart, Story Smash, which can be seen monthly here in LA at the Hollywood Improv. And she graciously opened up her house to us, and so we are recording this conversation while sitting at her cozy kitchen table, sipping coffee, and as you will hear, sharing a joint or two. <laughs> I know, Ma. Buckle up. <laughs> now, the Hilf subject that Christina assigned me is freaks. And I dive in with stories from some of the most famous so-called freaks of all time, like Joseph Merrick, the Elephant Man, and the showman who profited from them, like P.T. Barnum and Tom Norman. So, step right up, my friends, for the bearded lady, giants, pinheads, camel girl, and a lot of unexpected twists and turns along the way. <laughs> this is Hilf history. I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody. Let's get started. <laughs> oh, Christine Blackburn, thank you for having me in your home. I'm overlooking like this beautiful athletic field next to a school. You have given me coffee. We shared a joint. You're holding a cat. I feel like no two women have been more prepared... <laughs> To record a podcast That's right In the history of podcasts I want to introduce my guest, Christine Blackburn First of all, she is the host of the fantastic podcast, Storyworthy, in the 700s of episodes What's the most recent number you've recorded? 725 725, how and many years does that represent? It'll be 12 in July
0: Did I ever tell you my favorite kind of weed? No uh, It's OPP, have you heard you of that? You know me Other people's pot, have you heard that? <laughs>
1: Oh, man. I, I'm sure I have. Here's the problem. I think everyone's heard that 30 times, but you always hear it in a state where you're just going to forget it. You know, it's, it's a, you hear that joke somewhere in the fishbowl.
0: That's right. It was cute. I gave you a little joint. I know. That's why I'm a little bit, like I said, you know, when you, you know, when you smoke OPP, you do get a different buzz. I'm a little buzzed because, you know,
1: I wasn't used to that strain. I remember quite well just buying weed. Yeah. And they you you didn't ask. You kinda looked at it and it was either brown and seedy. Yeah. Or it wasn't. And it didn't really matter because you you were gonna take it anyway. So you have the podcast Story Worthy, which has been going for twelve years. You sit down with amazing people like Don Brody, in fact, a previous guest on Storyworthy. And you invite them to tell you their best story. And it's such a great listen. I mean, there's a reason why you've been going so strong for so long because you're a great host and it's a great podcast. And I encourage everyone to go listen to it after you're done with this one. And then you have more than that. You have a live show, which is called Story Smash, that um, wildly popular, was prior to the lockdown and is now again a regular feature at the Hollywood Improv Lab.
0: Yeah, I felt so lucky to come back because, you know, you just never know. You guys can head over to StorySmashShow.com and you'll see all about it.
1: Well, we are going to uh, commence fucking our history. Yeah. Christine, now I uh, am doing the subject of The Elephant Man and Freak Shows. Very, very excited. Why does this subject interest you?
0: Well, the freak show thing sort of scares me a bit because, you know, in vain of the circus or American Horror Story, when you would see these people that they look very happy, but, you know, and they're dancing around, you know, but then they might have a third arm, you know, or they're like Pepper, you know, from American Horror Story, or they're two headed or, you know, the tallest man or the shortest man. And, of course, they have their community of fellow performers, and they are artists in themselves. But, you know, it does look freaky. Mm-hmm. So I'm fascinated by people that can have a third arm or a second head and be like, well, this is my lot in life. Mm-hmm. Let's
1: let's move on and go to the next town, make a little bunny. Yeah. I think you're, you seem to really be tapping into something that I think is very universal around this subject, which is, um, on the one hand, it feels like immoral to display another person's body for spectacle. Mm -hmm. And yet they seem very empowered and singularly kind of choosing the life to an extent. And there's something to be considered there. And then also our fascination with deformities and, um, our empathy, I think takes over and we start to go, how can you, as you've said, with a third arm look so happy and dancing and making a living and like, Doing laundry when I literally am like, I have bad bangs. I should die.
0: <laughs> like you know what I mean?
1: It's. I, I think that we
0: all well, sort true. of it's put into perspective. It's you good go, to see you've that got perspective a, and a sense of community is
1: what it comes down to. Yeah. The, the sense of like, who, who are these individuals and, yeah. and how do they find their peers? It's such a fascinating history, Christine. I'm going to show you the book. That is my source material, Mm -hmm. Um, one of my sources of uh, of material. It is The True History of the Elephant Man, The Definitive Account of the Tragic and Extraordinary Life of Joseph Carey Merrick by Michael Howell and Peter Ford. And I'm going to hand this book to you because in the back pages, it's marked with a bookmark, you can see the man.
0: Yeah. Okay, I think I'm looking at the doctor.
1: Yeah, you'll know cuz he's when not you get a to. bad
0: the, the doctor's not a bad-looking man at all. No. But yeah, the the man who we're going to talk about today, it's tough. It's a, that's a tough situation really.
1: The individual that Christine is looking at there in the back of my book is Joseph Merrick, the elephant man. And he um, I want to start first of all, before we get too much into Joseph Merrick, is this term that we've already used several times and you're going to hear it throughout the podcast, which is freak. Um, It's tough. It's kind of a tough word to use at a time when people are particularly sensitive about using a a shorthand slur that can be used and hurled with cruelty. I'm going to give you the origin of the word freak because it's kind of helpful whenever we want to dispel some of this stuff. The first time that the word freak was ever used in in, in English in the sense that we sort of use it today was in 1847. And it was a a term used among scientists, a freak of nature, Mm. a way to describe individuals within a community that had deformities or injuries, some sort of malformation that was different then it's genetically similar peers. And a freak of nature was just a shorthand for how they would describe these individuals. And of course, uh, homo sapiens are creatures, and we have freaks of nature and know, but it's deformities not short, among us. Th- th- freak isn't short for anything? No, f- there is no freakus maximus I see, yeah. <laughs> out there. Freakazoid? It was just freak of nature was the yeah. longer part that we've just shortened to freak. The only really strenuous expression of distaste for that word from within the community that I came across um, was by Annie Jones, who was not the original, but one of the most famous bearded women. She was around in the same time, around the mid 1850s, and she actively campaigned, for the ending of the use of the word freaks and didn't like it. Um, mm-hmm. But otherwise, it seemed to have been frankly embraced mm-hmm. by a lot of the folks, especially those who are performing in quote-unquote freak shows mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're mm-hmm. literally standing under the sign. So I'm going to start um, with Joseph Merrick, the Elephant Man. He is 1884 London, and the guy that you said was kind of handsome when you first opened the book, that's Dr. Treves. Yeah, He is. He's kind of the head of surgery at London Hospital, And he gets wind, fella comes into his office one day and is like, there's a freak show set up across the street. And, which is very common. These traveling small scale circus side shows. And they said, he's the most grotesque and malformed human being any of us have ever seen. It appears to be completely authentic. And worth looking at, right? Because this this is money making for the hospital. Sure. To be able to discover a new disease, cure a, a disease, find an advanced whatever.
0: It looks like he has tumors everywhere,
1: like yes, huge tumors. They are they are pap- papillous uh, growths. Oh, so they are. Tumors. So he Frederick Treves goes across the street, bribes this kid at the door to get a private viewing from Tom Norman, the showman, and what he describes is harrowing. He the smell that comes off of Joseph Merrick is striking. I'll describe for you for those of you who maybe are driving and you're like, what does this fucker look like? Okay, here's here's what Joseph Merrick looks like. He is five foot two, so kind of short. His head is 36 inches around, but it is not round or really even oval. The right side in particular has a giant bulbous growth pumpkin a pump it looks but yeah but roly and pumpkin and it hangs primarily on the right side his right hand is enormous from his shoulder to his wrist his wrist is 12 inches around and his hand is useless his fingers look like turnips
0: it looks like a, a, a catcher's mitt
1: really yeah his uh, he's got long curtains of skin that hang off of his right pectoral and off of his armpit and on his back and hang loose from both buttocks down to his mid thigh he has bumpy cauliflower skin all over the rest of his body and his skeleton is also enlarged. So this isn't just a skin disease. He has, um, skeleton is enlarged under those same areas and he had a broken hip that never healed. Right. So he is, it's very difficult for him to walk. Both of his feet are enlarged. Like his right hand is, all of his toes are dislocated. His lips are turned back and his gums and his teeth are exposed um, and you can kind of see in the in the turned back portion of his lip a scar because he did have a trunk like growth from that area that was surgically removed because it was preventing him from chewing and he was going to starve. And this is his dating profile, correct? Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> he has. And this is the kicker. Perfect genitals and a perfect left arm and hand well his his penis i'm looking at it right now it looks great it's a nice size it's not circumcised you know sure no it's not we're not saying he has no assets yeah <laughs> um but and he walks you can see his cloak there his disguise he wears a huge cloak and a giant hood and a hat um and there's no shoes obviously they just kind of pull burlap sacks over his uh, feet so a difficult time. So Treves examines him, gathers all of his medical buddies around in a big room. They strip him naked, as you see. They take a bunch of pictures. They measure him. They, all these things. And then at the end of the, of the examination, he is returned to Tom Norman at the freak show. And Treves recalls and wrote in his diary that this individual, uh, he presumed, was developmentally delayed, completely mute, and an imbecile. Wow. He was not. In fact, within two years, the Elephant Man, Joseph Merrick, was the toast of London. Um, The most high-profile individuals of the city, the leading actress of the stage, Mrs. Kendall, royalty, the prince and the princess of Wales, not only sit down, spend time with him, they send him presents and signed cards and repeated visits and admiring letters and admiring journal entries. He impressed everybody he met. He was a remarkable body and a remarkable mind. And the two combined with his gentleness and his kindness, his optimism has been striking people forever. Um, His life was made into a Broadway play in 1977. David Bowie starred as Joseph Merrick, the Elephant Man. And the movie from the 1980s, do you remember the movie? Um, No, I don't. Black and White. Uh, John Hurt played the Elephant Man. Anthony Hopkins plays frederick treves i can picture the tableau mm -hmm. is what i can picture directed by david lynch and get this produced by mel brooks wow but he didn't he took his name off of everything because he didn't want anyone to think it was a comedy we're gonna come back we're gonna learn more about the elephant man um in a minute but i have a question for you yeah christine do you think freak shows are good or bad
0: Well, I don't, I don't, I think it's more nuanced than that. I mean, I think there's bad parts, but there's also, like I said before, I mean, if this is what these guys, how they want to make money, you know, I mean, look at people who tattoo themselves, you know, um, you know, beyond recognition, you know, Mm -hmm. their entire heads, their faces, everything. You can't recognize them. Like, I kind of think
1: that looks freaky. I wouldn't call the person a freak. Right. It is one of those words that it depends entirely on who is using it and how. Because the a lot context. of people are like, oh, I'm a total soccer freak. Sure, sure, sure. No, it, I know So you, you see, mean. like, oh, well, it depends. Like, yeah, are you using it cruelty? Because you mentioned the people who are tattooed head to toe. Yeah. Um, a lot of those individuals display themselves in modern day freak shows. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. are, they, and they stand under the sign, you know, whether they feel any objection to it or not. And we'll talk some about a, a yeah. modern freak show and people with piercings and all sorts of things. Do you know what I think is really a, almost a better comparison is when we're talking about sex workers and child labor. And with child labor, I mean athletes and artists. And we have a similar conversation that I think we're having with sex workers and quote-unquote freak shows. Yeah. Because I feel like what we're really wondering is, how how emancipated are they? Can they leave? Are they choosing to do this? Or are they feeling pressure from some angle that is forcing them to do this in a... You know, a way that doesn't make them happy, and and I think that we're mostly responding. But you could to say that. that with any career. You know what I mean? Like You're you read could my say mind it with anybody. So but yeah, I like. Oh, I I I wonder if my barista really wants to get up at five, and <laughs> I, I hope that she's just... satisfied around coffee. I hope coffee is yeah. her passion. Yeah, I mean, you know, people are in
0: circumstances for all different reasons, and the good news is most of it is. You know, it's all gonna pass, you know, it's fleeting. Except if you're deformed like this, I think especially if you're born with it like Merrick, you know, this is how this is all you know. You know, he he never knew what it was like to put on jeans. Because, Not true,
1: actually. Oh. He was he he was born uh without any signs of this uh oh, oh. condition. Tell me. He was five when it started to really show itself. Really? And his mother and his family were free of the condition. And so there was a point in which he was cognitively aware that this was happening and oh, that wow. he was g- going to be different than everyone else. And it continued to progress and get worse and worse and worse every day throughout his life.
0: And when are we going to talk about when did he die and all that?
1: Oh, we'll get to that. Okay, girl. We'll okay. get to that girl. Okay. He's still alive. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. I just wanted to give a little Wait, optimism. But your point is, is I think well-made, which is how is he supposed to take care of himself? Right. right. So if anyone's going to say, oh, what are you doing in this freak show, young man? It's like, give me an alternative. And that's kind of what I say is if you're trying to figure out if this marginalized person's employment mm-hmm. is empowerment or or exploitation, um, then I think you just need to look at what is their alternative. Mm-hmm. What else could they be doing? And then it's twofold, though. Is there, a, is there another thing that they can be where they're safe and well taken care of? And then if there is, got to be cool with them choosing to do this freely. Yeah. Because, like, when it comes to sex work, we're totally, like, some girls got to just, you know, you got to pay your mortgage. And you've got to p- take care of your kids. And we can, this noble, you know, mother mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. usually the one that we picture when we're like, you got to give a blowjob to live. It happens. But because <laughs> there's, like, social services and homeless shelters when a woman chooses to give a blowjob to make money, it's like, you slut. Yeah. Like we need to we need to simultaneously be like some people do choose to do it and I'm also okay. I have to with tell that. you
0: this show Hilf has it all, doesn't it? First we talk <laughs> about 18th uh, century London and we're talking about the Elephant Man. We go mm-hmm. right to blowjobs. You don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know, but I have looked at the uh, at the Elephant Man's penis and like you said earlier, you're correct. It's a it's a perfect appendage.
1: It's, it's fine. perfect. Yeah. And and a, it's a in a slight cruel twist of fate. They gave him a perfect genitals and a perfect left arm. Yeah, that left arm is good looking. Like couldn't you have given him his right arm and perfect genitals and like thrown the guy a bum? This is back in London. This is before It's probably before radio,
0: right? Before radio, before television.
1: And this is what else is interesting about that is it's the
0: Victorian era. So this is their options were very limited. You are so right. They didn't know about anybody else in the world that had this. There was no communication like now.
1: And not only very limited technology and very limited communication, as you point out, it is also um, a very pristine time. Victorian. I mean, you put the wrong fucking flower on the wrong color skirt and you're exiled. Do you know what I mean? You hold your fan above your shoulder for too many seconds and the queen is like, get out of my face. So that like freak shows had their boom in the Victorian era is interesting, man. There's something in there. Right. But I want to tell you about a couple of very interesting freaks that predate Joseph Merrick because the, the equity, And the independence, comparatively, for an individual deemed a freak at this time was fairly well-worn territory. Uh, You could make money and travel and have a fairly good go of it if you could get into one of these high-end shows. P.T. Barnum and Tom Norman are two of some of the biggest names, and, and that would be a pretty sweet gig. Let me tell you about two of my favorite freaks who make good, okay? 1720s. Lazarus and Johannes Batista Colorondo. They are conjoined twins. Oh boy. Lazarus stands and walks and talks. Johannes is another torso that comes off of Lazarus's right side and is sort of a mute, dumb, but moves its lips and looks around and has two arms.
0: I'm going to have nightmares.
1: Johannes is the parasitic twin. And when they're moving and wrestling around, Lazarus just covers him with a cloak. And Lazarus is kind of a handsome guy. Very, like, if you're anything like me, Quato, from Total Recall, the little fella that lives in what's-his-name's chest. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm going to have nightmares. It gets better. Lazarus, the standing-up-walking-around one, commits a murder. Oh, Jesus. Is charged and sentenced to execution. Gets out of it by telling the court, You can't kill me, man. You'll kill my innocent twin brother. He had nothing to do with it. So they let him go. And Lazarus and Johannes Batista Colorondo disappear
0: could lazarus speak
1: yes wow oh you mean uh johannes was the appendage oh the appendage the could appendage speak? could not speak the, the
0: appendage could not speak he just looked around so he he couldn't defend himself no so i wonder if he could show emotion or like when he, he'd be like looking at the judge like yeah
1: because look at me it sounds like not really but was present and humanoid enough to... Oh, I, I wish like, we oh. had courtroom cameras then. I know. At least a good sketch artist, a scru- <laughs> All right. Here's the second one. This is another freak made good. 1720s. This guy's name is Matthew Buckinger. He was born with no hands, no feet. He is two feet, five inches tall. Oh. And he is known for his mycography, just little drawings, tiny, itty-bitty, tiny illustrations. He is married. Buckle up. He gets married four times, has at least 14 children by eight different women, and he he would sing and dance and play instruments for kings, queens, and other aristocrats. Okay, let's see his penis. I mean, what has
0: he got? What is happening? He's got 14 children worth. I know, but I mean, I what was
1: attractive about him? He's two I, foot one. I think this is something we really need to explore.
0: Well, think about it. I mean, if it's at all,
1: I think it, it's a number of things. I think it's, I think uh, it's fascinating. It, he's probably a really great listener. Oh my god! Oh my
0: god! <laughs> he's all ears. I know, but Except proportionally, for, proportionally, you're looking at a, a, a tiny, tiny little appendage for his penis. Not, we don't know that. I don't have any oh, pictures of Matthew. He's only two Matthew foot
1: one. That I'm telling you.
0: It's, but proportionally, if it was like a six incher, he would be like a tripod.
1: I'm telling you, it. I don't know. I wish you We are digging deep into this wow. mystery. That he, is you, something else. This is why we have Google. Yeah. So we know that there's a a history of freaks having lived more than full, li- amazing lives with children and many wives and lots of wealth and of successful art. So it happens, right? And here is Joseph Merrick's alternative. Okay, he was born as I said without any signs of this disease. His mother is very kind, takes very good care of him, dies. His dad remarries a classic wicked stepmother. This bitch, she's got her own kids and she just straight from the gate treats Joseph like shit. she says he has to go get a job she doesn't care what but she won't feed him unless he brings in money and he he as the disease gets worse and worse there's less and less he can do he starts by rolling cigars and does fairly well until his right arm becomes completely useless he can't do that anymore and then i want you just seeing the pictures i want you to tell me what you think would be the worst job for the elephant man to have in the freak show No, just in life. If You know, he's got to go get a job in London. Yeah,
0: well, he wouldn't want to be a model.
1: No. He is told to be a door-to-door salesman. Oh, no. His dad goes and gets him a hawker's license, and he's expected to go door-to-door. And scare people to death. And sell people things. Yeah. And, of course, it doesn't go well. And often the women who are the ones greeting him are screaming and it just gets worse and worse. And if you co- disguise yourself, please, that's even worse. And so quickly, he can't, he literally can't do anything. He can contribute nothing. And his stepmother tells him he's got to go. He runs away. His father goes and gets him and brings him back a couple times and then finally just stops. So he, he turns himself in Christine and at a workhouse.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you know the workhouses, the poor houses of London? Mm. Notorious. Nobody yeah. speaks of these nicely. They were designed to be just slightly better than dying cold in poverty on the street. Oh, my God. But not so good that you'd ever want to go there if your life didn't depend on did it. Did they house you? They did. Yeah. So if you went, they took everything of value that you had. And you were expected to work as much as you could. And for that, you were given shelter and sustainable food. Right. Um, and he turned himself in there. Oh, and it's very interesting when you do this. It's such a fascinating process. You would present yourself to the guard. There'd be one guard working. And this individual guard was in charge of looking at you and evaluating your situation and deciding if you were destitute enough to come in. And it, the, I mean, the cruelty and angel nature of that job. Right. The, the the sickle that that individual held, right. both to reap <laughs> and to save, yeah. is just a story in and of itself. Right. But there were consequences. If you as a guard turned some, someone away that then later died, you would be charged with manslaughter. Oh, God. So it was amazing. And they couldn't take everybody. And they can't take everybody. So Joseph Merrick is admitted because he can't work. He hates it so much, he leaves in two weeks but then he comes back and stays for four awful years. And how old is he at this time? He's like 19. 20.
0: Okay. And when he, when he when his
1: mother died, was she was the was he just 2 or 3 or something? He was like 7 eight. He was older. He was okay. old enough he has a lot of memories of her his and disease she had has, witnessed Yeah,
0: his disease had started and she was helping.
1: She had witnessed, yeah, a lot of it and she sheltered him. Yeah. She took care of him. I'm sure if it's demonstrated in his character throughout his life, instills some very deeply entrenched senses of value and compassion and love, because that is what he radiates throughout. Mm -hmm. In none of the accounts of the Elephant Man, and I've read a couple from various points of view, from the doctor's point of view, from the circus's point of view, from the people who met him, from his family, all of these individuals, there is not an account of anger, Hmm. revenge. He never pickpocketed anybody or stole anything mm-hmm. or hid any of his money or threatened. You know what I mean? He, yeah. he was just a, a very gentle spirit um, and he couldn't handle it in there. It was a cruel and awful place and he was p- pretty much put into a corner with a bunch of psychopaths and he's looking down the barrel like any human being would be of this is my life if I sit here. So he writes a letter to a guy named Sam Tor, who is a showman, uh, an individual who books freaks like himself. Sam Tor is intrigued. He comes to the workhouse. He meets Joseph Merrick. He witnesses his body and he makes him an offer. He says, look, I have these other guys. I think they would team up together. We would sponsor you. Joseph agrees, gathers his things and leaves the workhouse in the company of the showman. Now, if you are a big fan, as I am, of the movie, the 1980 movie with Anthony Hopkins and John Hurt, this is one of the places where the movie separates. They portray the showman as a cruel like animal tamer, Mm -hmm. a drunken, violent, like an abusive boyfriend, Mm -hmm. just whipping him and stealing from him and forcing him to live in filth. The reality is that Tom Norman was a totally decent dude, Hmm. took really good care of his performers, paid them a fair share, Joseph Merrick has no ill will of him. He was free to go whenever he wanted. In fact, he was billed as one of the most remarkable human beings to have ever drawn breath. The way that Tom Brown billed him as a freak was, he is horribly physically deformed, which is true. And the reason you're going to come in here and look at him is because he is so kind and so gentle and so civilized. And people would come in and they'd talk with him and they would find his, the same reason you and I are talking about him, the same reason there's that book, the same reason there was the play, the same reason there was the movie, because we just can't not be struck by how someone in his situation could maintain an optimism and a love of life. Hmm. After this examination by Joseph Treves, he goes back to the showman and in, the, in, in Joseph Treves' account and in the 1980s movie, Joseph Merrick is squirreled away and, and the jealous showman hides him and Treves has to sort of find him again to take care of him. In reality, Tom Norman passed along to Joseph Merrick, hey, they want to um, examine you again. They want to take more pictures and stuff. So do you want to go do that? And he said, no. He said no I was it was the most humiliated I've ever felt. They didn't treat me like a person. They treated me like a specimen. And Frederick Treves is convinced that the showman was hiding him. So they have like very kind of mutual distaste. So after this Joseph Merrick goes to Europe Christine. Oh, are you ready? Mm-hmm. I want you to buckle up for some darkness. Okay. Joseph Merritt goes to Europe for a European tour because the London police are starting to crack down on these things. We're getting to the end of the boom and people are starting to feel like it's kind of gross and, yeah. and savage and we don't like it and it's not very civilized. Blah. So he goes to Europe to try his hand there with a guy named Mr. Ferrari. That's the only thing we know about him is his name is Mr. Ferrari. They have a disastrous time in Europe. It's the same thing. The police are pushing him mm-hmm. off the street, and they're not letting him stay, and they're not making a lot of money. And all of a sudden, Mr. Ferrari takes everything of value, oh, no. steals everything Joseph has, and he has a fair savings, like a better savings than people who are working mm-hmm. around him. And he leaves him abandoned, broke, totally alone in Brussels. Wow. I mean, just imagine. You are in the elephant man's body. hmm You have no money. You don't speak the language. He took the money and took his things like in the
0: night, and he woke up. He woke up and and realized, oh, my
1: God. Everything's gone. What am I going to do? So what did he do? He suffered and suffered until he got home. He was able to pawn... Some things that he had apparently even, it, maybe he had had them on his body. Um, he never, however, left a small portrait of his mother. Mm. He carried a small portrait of his mother all the time. And mm. he had that forever until he died. He gets passage. He, he's, he finally gets enough of his money together to get passage on a, a, a boat. And they won't let him on board. And the, he's already bought his ticket. And the boat leaves. They won't let him on. And he's stuck again. He has to try to start they over with money. Because pe- cause he's a scary, pumpy, yeah. stinky Yeah mute and tell it no they're like this is leprosy people are afraid it's Uh, a contagious thing whatever so he does finally after i'm sure hunger and thirst and pain and sleeplessness i mean his, his body is riddled with pain anyway he finally gets back to london he steps off the train in his native city i mean at least he can understand the language now and he is immediately mobbed by angry, confused spectators who are following him and pushing him around and accusing him. And they chase him into a corner. And this is well represented in the movie. The circumstances by which he gets there are a little different, but it's mm-hmm. accurate to just being chased and cornered like an animal. And he is able to present the business card of Frederick Treves at the London Hospital. And they bring Joseph Merrick to him. Yeah. And his life from that moment on is transformed. Wow. They are able to raise funds to give him a private residence. Very unusual. You think of all the people suffering in London at the time. This guy spurred everybody's sort of charity. This is when they realize how intelligent he is. Now they can sit down with him. They can spend time with him. And they realize he can read. He can write. He has very, very deep, deep interests and convictions and feelings and dreams and hopes. And they take him to the theater and he is completely enamored and falls head over heels in love with what happens in a theater. He sees one play, Puss in Boots, and he never stops thinking about it. He talks about it like they're old friends. You know, I wonder if that wizard ever got out of the wow. well. And, huh. and his disease continues to advance with every passing month and it, and it gets worse and worse. And one night, Joseph Merrick lays down his head on his pillow and dies. And what's intriguing about that is that at any point in this story that he wanted to die, all he ever had to do was lay down and put his head on his pillow. That was always an option. I mean, just think about that. For Joseph Merrick to sleep, every time he slept from the time he was like six years old, the only way he could do it was by pulling his knees up to his chest and resting his giant forehead on top of his knees. Yeah, He knew at some point in like his 20s that if he laid his head down flat, he would asphyxiate and die. Oof. The weight of his skull would close his windpipe and he would die. Wow. So every nap, every night of sleep, he rested his head on top of his knees so he wouldn't die. Wow. So think about those nights in the workhouse, the nights on the boat, the nights of hunger with his stepmother... All he had to do if was he to lay down. Out. If he wanted out, he just, he just had to lay had down. He just had to lay down. I just think... That's so fascinating. I so think they- it's so fascinating that he never chose to die in his states of suffering. Mm-hmm. He chose to die he in waited. a state of great peace and great satisfaction.
0: Well, also, he was young, you know, when he was in Europe. He was, he was
1: 27, like a proper rock star. He died in his sleep at the age of 27. Oh, wow. That's very young.
0: Did people ever think he was like a, a not a therapist, but like um, like a a fortune teller or a soothsayer or like what were his qualities? Yes. He was nice. Yes. He was kind, but did he just have regular conversations with people or did he try to like share wisdom?
1: No, I think that was the most mesmerizing thing for people who were meeting and sitting down with Joseph Merrick was obviously his appearance. He looked unlike any individual you had ever seen in your life, compounded with being one of the most kind and polite and well-spoken individuals that you've ever met. So it was the, dichotomy i think that was um intriguing on both fronts but how did they sell him a lot of times in these sideshows freak shows they would want to emphasize like this guy looks kind of gross and he'll talk to you is not gonna gonna draw people in but they they used a canvas that had a painting of a of, of a half man half elephant that took up like a story and it was beautifully drawn and that was designed to bring people in and then it was the art of tom norman to talk about the myth of how Joseph Merrick's mother, when she was pregnant, was knocked down by an elephant that had been at a local parade and that that is why he is so disfigured. His poor mother was, you know, suffered this. So there's a theatricality and a performance about this terrible thing that happened to this individual. He never, and anything that I have seen, was billed as... Or portended to be a psychic mm-hmm. or a spiritual being, or even like you said, like giving advice. I think people were just mesmerized by how like you he is. Yeah. How like your neighbor he is.
0: Yeah, like he even the worst part here in one of the photos is he went
1: bald. That had to be tough. Right? <laughs> right. You were like on my one side. I had that one side was really good. Yeah, I know. And he had the, the comb over was like three yards. He had to, yeah, had like three yards of comb it's over. It's so
0: interesting. It's all so very, yeah. very interesting. And I wonder why when they cut off like the trunk that started to grow, I wonder why they couldn't have done more. You know, like I'm not, I don't know if they had plastic surgery then, but yeah. if they could take off that one thing, that one appendage, mm-hmm. then couldn't they go further?
1: Well, the one that they took off, they did in the workhouse. So the hospital, the best hospital in the world was still not great. Like they are still figuring out gloves. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. So the surgery was very complicated and done solely because it was probably going to save his life. and It had to be done. But there was never any indication of a cure or even treatment for the disease. Yeah. They were just trying to figure out what it was.
0: Do you think he ever had any partners at all? Nobody ever? Close I don't think so.
1: He almost fainted the first time a woman walked into the room and didn't scream. Aww. So I don't think there's any chance he had. I mean, I think that there was a lot of intimacy in having someone sit down with him and yeah. speak. I think that that was stupendous, but I've never heard of any romantic And did, did you ever hear of him having hobbies? Yes, he made cardboard models of various architecture around London. Another wow. thing represented in the movie that is 100% true. That's neat. Yeah. Here's what we're going to do now. We're going to take a little break. Okay? okay. I'm not going to make you smoke any more of my dope unless you suggest you have any sure. interest of any sure. kind. Of. <laughs> I do. Um, and when we come back for part two, I'm just going to quickly go through some other notable freaks and where we're at today with freak shows. See cool. if you want, if you're having any interest in maybe joining one with me. Great. <laughs> If it is not abundantly clear, if Christine Blackburn ever invites you to her kitchen table, say yes. You will not regret it. And don't forget, you can find more about anything that may have piqued your interest thus far. Pictures of Joseph Merrick, links to Christine's podcast, and ways to get tickets to live events all on our Instagram, at Hilf And hey, while you're shuffling away out there on the World Wide Web, I have two great ideas for you. One, Go give our little podcast a rating and a review, will you? It's a real shot in the arm and helps us enormously. Two, go check out another great podcast from my friend, Dead Air Dennis Mailer. You're going to hear from him next, and then we'll be right back with Hilf. Freaks. Hi, I'm Dead Air Dennis Mailer, host of another educational podcast devoted to helping you get smarter and laughing all at the same time. It's called Word of the Day with Comedians. (laughs) the funniest way to expand your vocabulary and is available on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. Now it's time for the history you were never taught from the person who should never teach it. Hilf. History I'd Like to Fuck with Don Brody. This time the OPP was your week. (laughs) We are back and we have talked about the freak that is the elephant man, Joseph Merrick. And we talked about some of his predecessors who had made good. And now we're going to talk about some of our modern day freaks, which which some of you might know. You mentioned um, American Horror Story season four. Among the cast are several performers who are self-proclaimed freaks who perform both demonstrating their um, deformity and as actors in other venues. It's fascinating to cast. I strongly encourage you to go actually to IMDB for American Horror Story season four and take a minute to look at the uh, biographical and professional history of a lot of these performers and see if it is in, if it is informed by this podcast because I had a blast doing it.
0: And that was American
1: Horror Story Freak Show. Freak Show. That's what yep. it was called, yeah. Exactly. So they certainly were happy. They were like, yeah, yes, I'm they signing my name under the show Freak Show. Cutting corners, yeah. yeah. And there's a movie, um, fantastic movie, 1932, called Freaks, that also famously employed and featured authentic actors who were deemed self-proclaimed freaks. Um, the human torso pinheads, um, a lot of little people, uh, giants, and they, the, the movie is beautiful and fantastic and inspired a similar conversation that they had around the elephant man that we're having now, which is those poor people. I can't believe they put those poor people in that movie. What was that a documentary? No, it's a fiction. It's great. It's about these circus performers and sideshow performers and their jealousies and their love affairs. And it's kind of, it's fun. Just like
0: regular life. Exactly.
1: And that really is always, they're just like us. They are. I mean, what is the show? Uh, Little People, Big Problems? Mm. We're just watching them do laundry and take their kids to school and go grocery shopping. And we're just going, look at them. Just like us. I mean, that's that's the <laughs> I whole. I haven't pr- seen that show. It's the, it's it's ridiculous. It's and it, frankly, it's the same thing we do with rich people. I'm so like, it's I'm like well, Yeah, we look at these like housewives. Uh, you know, we're like they have more money than God. They could they could go to a mall on an afternoon and just spend my kids' college tuition and forget they did it. See, I and I, I we can't s- like we can't imagine this wealth. And then we watch shows and we go, look at them, look at them, just waking up in the morning in a bed, just like me. Look at them, chewing food with their mouths, just like I do. Like, we have this... There's something about how the people we consider beyond us, both good and bad, are at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. just like us. Yeah, because you only have
0: one remote control, one TV, and you got one Amstel light in your hand.
1: That's it. You (laughs) know what I mean?
0: I mean, how many... What what more are you going to have? And that's a pretty great Thursday. I know. You know? I skied a lot in my life and when i was oh gosh i was so young 22 23 i lived at the ski resort in colorado and my buddy always used to say would be on you know like would be in, on a lift on on our way up the mountain and beautiful you know colorado blue sky eleven thousand feet and john lakey would say eh, i wonder what the rich folks are doing today <laughs> and that always stuck with me you know like yeah. could it be better
1: than this doubt it We are now going to get into what I'm calling my filths. Okay. Freaks. I'd like to fuck. Okay. And by fuck, of course, I mean with everyone's consent. (laughs) Sure, sure. Um, We begin with uh, Schlitzie Surtees, one of the most famous pinheads of all time. Um, He is featured in that 1932 film Freaks I told you about. Um, He often performed in drag. I believe he is portrayed as a female pinhead in the movie. Um, he was uh, performed often with Barnum and Bailey. He had uh, apparently the intelligence level of a three-year-old, very limited vocabulary, but he understood everything, and he was very happy, very funny. He had lots of friends. He could come and go freely. He saved a fair amount of money. In 1965, his showrunner died. Mm. And his daughter, quote- unquote, "inherited." him and had him committed into Mm. an institution in California get this a former sword swallower who worked in the asylum in the off season recognizes Schlitzie and recognizes that poor Schlitzie is sad man Schlitzie is not the happy joyful dancing singing friend he remembers (laughs) and so he adopts him represents him takes him out and Schlitzie spends his last five years performing and dancing on the Santa Monica, wow. Venice boardwalk, and then Hollywood next to the fucking Spider-Man. Wow. That's so interesting. And that you bring
0: up, you know, Hollywood and Highland here in Los Angeles, which is kind of, you know, where the, the footprints and handprints are in the Man's Chinese Theater, the Egyptian Theater, uh, the El Capitan, right there in the center of Hollywood. Yeah, they've got so many people dressed up in costume so that when the tourists come by, they can get their picture taken with either Spider Man or you know all the characters. But it's not—you know—I wouldn't say that's like it is a freak show. In it's, it's kind own of a sideshow. It's, it's a, a sideshow, side sh- but it's not like the oddities. It's just the costumes.
1: It is. It is. But, but isn't? But is uh, in and of itself an oddity, especially for. You know, my people I grew up in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin at the end of a dead end road. Mm -hmm. So just being there is like, oh my God. And And then the people are doing this. Oh my god. Speech,
0: same thing, you know. Exactly. Like you said, the 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 freak show at speech.
1: speech i wonder if they called it a freak show back then i'm mean, sure they did the boardwalk you know i mean they would have it was a billing it was you called it a freak show because yeah. people come to fucking freak shows. yeah you know they still do the longest running freak show in america is on coney island wow. in new york and and it's still open and some wow. of the some of the performers from american horror Story season four perform their regular sort of like if uh, you know rupaul's drag race sure brought dra- you know if it had done drag, like those performers are right. making a good living now in a regular freak show um uh, do you know chang and ang bunker probably the ones that you found in your dictionary the conjoined twins the siamese twins the reason we call conjoined twins how could i forget how could you forget these guys check this out. i don't know if you knew this they moved in there If they saved a bunch of money. They made a bunch of money as sideshow freaks. And both of them were very articulate and intelligent. Unlike the first uh, conjoined twin we talk about where the one twin was sort of a mute mm-hmm. uh, developmentally delayed. They both shared independent thought and motor skills. They moved to South Carolina buy a plantation and own slaves. Wow. They marry both get married. Two women, very different from each other, who don't like each other at all. They collectively father 12 daughters and nine sons. Yeah, that's 21 children between the two of them. They love to go hunting. They are plantation owners and slave owners, as I said, it, during the Civil War. They themselves, because they were very, they were freaks. Everyone knew what they looked like. They were used as a metaphor for the Civil War. Right. We are we not one body split in two. Right. Are we as a nation in the world? Not one body. So they were using like political cartoons and stuff to like represent what was going on in the Civil War. Did
0: they marry twins as well?
1: No. The women were they didn't like each other. They weren't related. They had to they had to share time because the two women were like not interested in sharing their households at all. And so they have to like split their time between these two women. So the spoiler alert, the North wins the Civil War. They lose it all because their fortune is invested in Confederate currency, and all their slaves get emancipated. So these two have to go back to performing, and they have to go back into the sideshow, and they do okay. They, you know, they have twenty-one kids. doing <laughs> Christ! Somebody's got it, yeah. And they die on the same day, but not at the same time. Huh? One of them got tuberculosis, bronchitis, and suffered and died and they the the other twin woke up realized his brother was dead and died himself within hours within hours yeah okay this guy i have a feeling i'm just going to predict that this is christine blackburn's favorite maybe okay frank lentini the three-legged man three functioning legs they aren't all exactly the same length but they're all long and functioning one of them the third leg also has one little foot Coming out about where the knee would be. Fast runner. (laughs) Very fast runner. He has. So I want you to picture a guy with three legs sitting on a chair looking at you. Okay? (laughs) Between each pair of legs is a full set of fully functioning genitals. Oh, my God. I know. He is, quote, very well-liked. Ugh. that's what it said in his he was very famous very friendly and very well liked oh i don't know how many kids he had wow but damn so uh,
0: i just don't even like the idea though of that third leg just like flipping around yeah Ugh.
1: yeah there would you would have to on the other hand you have some one more bracing point
0: yeah, but, like, if he were behind you, you'd have, like, his third appendage
1: slapping your thigh. No, you could have that third leg could be sort of pushed. I mean, you've even had it. Maybe you, maybe you have. I don't want to judge you, but I've had sex in a lot of boats and RVs.
0: I'm not sleeping with a three-legged
1: man. A well, why are you so judgy, girl? Look, I've got... He I've, makes a good living. He's got two dicks. You don't really? No interest? Oh, my. One's too many.
0: Yeah. No, one's good.
1: One's perfect. <laughs> You're not greedy you don't like that leg you wouldn't take if 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 a second dick came with a third leg you're not doing that
0: i'm gonna have nightmares
1: good i'm glad ella harper is my next filth she's called the camel girl because her knees bend forward and backwards so she could go down on her hands and knees with her knees buckled backward like a dog like, a oh my like god, that, that sounds like
0: a horror movie, it, like when they
1: crawl up the steps or something, like it in does. The Exorcist. And here's what I suspect happened with old Ella Harper because we hear about her, there's several pictures of her, you can find them on our Instagram. You can also go open your phone right now if you're so inclined. She, you can imagine, I just described it to my friend Christine and she went, oh, right. right, because. Right. Ugh. because, because gross. And I don't care how much money you're making. No individual can be themselves doing their thing and have an individual or crowd of people repeatedly go Ugh, and like, feel good about that. You know what I mean? Even right. if you're making money. And so here's hard. what Ella Harper did. Probably what I, I like to think I would do in a similar situation. Girl made her money okay and not only do you pay people pay to come see it but then you also make these pitch cards these like index card side thing have a picture of you on them and a description of who you are and where you're from maybe it's a postcard it's a souvenir people buy those your merch yeah yeah you're familiar with merch so they would make their money selling merch and one of the things she wrote on her cards that was in her description was i'm 16 i'm saving money to go to school once i'm going to school i'm done with this and god bless her she apparently makes her money because when she turned 17 she changed her name. She leaves the circuit. Wow. She does not show people her inverted knees. Or her. she does it at, at college parties like the rest yeah. of us do she with probably our weird became stuff. a cheerleader. She probably did. A gymnast? I'm sure she did something athletic, yeah. <laughs> I would imagine, that involved jumping. Um, my next filth is Annie Jones. I mentioned her briefly at the top. She's the only um, individual that objected actively to the term freak. Mm. She would yeah. correct people when they said it. She didn't like it. She was in the circus as a sideshow act. At nine months old, she was covered in hair. She was very, very hairy from birth. Her parents, though, got basically their mortgage paid by P.T. Barnum to have her displayed and named all sorts of various things that he said was her condition. Um, And she traveled and made tons of money, and that was her job. She was apparently, though, kidnapped when she was, like, four. Disappears, snatched in the night. They track her down. They find her. She's being displayed at a church fair (laughs) as, like, the results of sin. What, oh what what mat, too much masturbation or sex with the oh devil or whatever my. will lead to. Oh and they bring her back. And this guy's like, it's my kid. It's my kid. He keeps saying it's my kid. So they go to court. And as soon as she sees her parents, she runs to them and the judge is like, Oh my God,
0: this oh case is God. over.
1: Can you believe it? Insane. Um, the last freak that I am going to share with you, Christine is Prince Randian, the living torso. If you have seen the 1932 movie freaks, you will remember Prince Randian. He was born with no um, arms and no legs, and he could roll a cigarette. He could play virtually any musical instrument you could find. He spoke uh, five languages. Wow. He had five kids, and he was brought to the circus by P.T. Barnum with his wife who was called Princess Sarah, and she took care of him, and he made a fortune and traveled the world and died a very, very old man. And I I mentioned, you know, we have our freaks today. The American Horror Story has shown them. The Coney Island Freak Show. If you live in the area, go check it out. You know, and other freak shows like um, The Bachelor is one of my (laughs) favorite modern freak shows. Just watching these people devour some guy and completely degrade themselves in ways that defy the way we court and the way we mate and the way that we do anything yeah that's true <laughs> so here's my my last question before we go if you had to find your act in a sideshow like freak show sideshow what would what would your sideshow act
0: it's be? so fast and so easy for me i can stand on my head for as long as you'd like that's such a big statement i could just live on my head you give good head no, no, Would no, 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 that, I'm that saying, no, I'm serious, like in terms of like flexibility and yoga, that
1: kind of thing. And so you're talking a your tripod head. position, your hands yeah. are down, your head is down, your yeah. legs are in the air, and you can you hang up there. And when a you wall. think
0: about the tripod position, you have to admit it's three positions touching the ground rather than just your two feet. So really
1: a headstand should be easier. It should. Thank and you. you are telling us in some instances it is, are you leaning against a wall? In no, this no, no, no,
0: no, no. I can just do headstands. Amazing.
1: So yeah. here's how I'd set if I was your, if I was your show person, your okay. showman, I was telling you, I'd be like, you know, the upside down woman. <laughs> and I would build you a little set that yeah. made you look a little bit bigger than you normally are. And I'd have a clock going yeah. to indicate how long you'd been on your head. Yeah. And then you could chat with the audience and you could like go over there and like make yourself a cup of tea. Yeah. And then, ooh, drink it upside down, that would draw a big crowd.
0: Upsy-downsy world. Oof. All right. What would you do? Hmm.
1: I can tie a cherry stem into a knot. You know, I've seen in my that. tongue. I've
0: seen you do that. <laughs> I can vouch for that right now. You are good, man. I you can could do just that. do that all day and you could sell them. Even if it's only a penny a piece,
1: yeah. you'd flip and you could do a thousand a day. How how much is that? Ten I, bucks? I don't know. I mean I guess you know, that'd have to be trial tested because yeah, I might ex- I might experience some sort of joint pain or jaw pain that Well, would take you me out of the do game.
0: some good but, tongue work, I'll say that. <laughs>
1: everyone's gonna go listen to your podcast if they live in the area or are visiting the area they're gonna look you up they're gonna come see not only the live show of story smash but don't you have another live show starting
0: um i have a lot of different things going on how do we find you? storyworthypodcast.com that's the mother load storyworthypodcast.com and on all social media at storyworthy
1: well i'm going there right now my friend christine blackburn thank you Thank you for giving me your time, your kitchen table, and that sticky, sticky weed. It's such a blast, and you're so good at what you do, really. And thank you
0: for making history accessible for everybody. I mean, really, if my kid has to do any kind of project on Frederick Merrick, I'm going to say just listen to Hilf. Yeah, and then I'll say, his name is Joseph Merrick. What the fuck? And the man? doctor
1: was Frederick Merrick. <laughs> How's your mom doing?
0: <laughs> I just combined them. I thought it was easier just combine that whole goddamn thing. And the only one I don't ever want to talk about is Frankenstein, because frankly, I don't think that's a very fascinating story. How? Dare you? Sorry, I know, How I know, I know. Dare you? I know, but you know, it was my first episode. I know, I know, but I, I like the way you did it. But the book itself, I remember my daughter mm. had to read it at one point, and it you was didn't like so it. hard to read for me.
1: It's, it is, it's tricky. Listen, it's that, dense. That girl, that bitch, had a lot of words, and she yeah. spent all day making a sentence. Yeah, and
0: also it was just like, and he keeps going through the mountains of Switzerland and going up and down, and then he goes to the town. Then he leaves the town. And then he goes to another town, and it didn't. You know. And they
1: call it romanticism. I know. And I'm like, when are we, we gonna get to the clit? Like, There's if no- this is romance, <laughs> nobody's getting naked. Like,
0: <laughs> doesn't romance eventually it somebody
1: would- get somewhere? Yeah, uh, and for another time. Well, we'll do. I'll do um, a time with you any anytime. This was fascinating. It was fantastic. Thank you so much, Thank and you, I'll friend. see you soon. Thank you. Oh, what fun that was. A huge thanks once again to my guest, Christine Blackburn. Please do yourself a favor and follow her and see her live whenever you can. And speaking of live, tickets are on sale right now for the Hilf live recording, which is happening May 26th in Glendale, California. Watch our social pages for big announcements every week leading up to the show and get your tickets while you can. In the meantime, we'll see you back here for our next episode, Colonial Cocktails. I'm joined by Rashid Green, a bartender here in L.A. who, like all of us during COVID, had to go barless for a while, and along with his wife, started the popular social channel, The Barless Tender. And he's going to make me some of his favorite colonial-era cocktails while I regale him with stories of our drunken founding fathers. (laughs) I know, right? Don't miss it. Until then, this has been Hilf. History I'd Like to Fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody, reminding you that history is a party. And everybody's coming. (laughs) And now, another quick word from my friend, Dead Air Dennis Mahler. If you enjoy both education and laughter, check out my podcast, Word of the Day with Comedians. Each weekday, a comedian and myself pick a word and try to make the most absurd sentence we can using that word in context. It's the funniest way to expand your vocabulary.